Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters about copywriting. Today I'm talking to Glenn Fisher from All Good Copy. He's an author, copywriter, podcaster and speaker. And his book, The Art of Click, was shortlisted as Business Book of the Year in 2019. Woohoo! And his podcast, The All Good Copy Podcast, has had a string of awesome guests on it, including me. He has a dog called Pablo, a crime podcast-loving girlfriend called Ruth, and lives in merry old England. But as well as being a copywriting celebrity, Glenn is also a working writer and he specializes in direct response. He's worked with a string of sexy clients and helped them drive sales that win over clients. And today he's sharing his secrets with us. My name is Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the recipe for SEO success. And if you don't know what those are by now, Google them. I'm flying solo today. No Belinda, but I am not alone for I have a guest. Hello, Glenn. Hello. I've just told everybody who you are and what you do. Why don't you it in words from your own mouth? From my own mouth, my own terrible mouth. Uh, My name is Glenn Fisher. Uh, I am indeed a copywriter, uh, guilty as charged. And uh, yeah, I live in England. I overthink things. I uh, analyze the world too much, but that all seems to help me in trying to uh, sell stuff for people. Well, I think it helps. And and I would also say that possibly drinking large mugs of Ribena is also your success well i've i'm getting older and not that anyone wants to know this and this is a way to get people to turn off a podcast immediately but um i feel as though i'm weeing too much <laughs> and i so I've, i all i do is sit at home drinking ribena vimto or earl grey tea and i've, I've just decided I, I think i drink too many liquids so i, I didn't make that what you will I mean, that was, you can't see it, people. I hope I might get a shot of it to share in the podcast notes, but it was literally the biggest glass of Ribena I have ever seen. Mm. So, and my, my tea mug is usually, uh, it's twice the size. It's like a David Shrigley, um mug, which is quite funny. And it's, uh, it says museums are full of crap on it. And it's where I got the mug from a museum. But it's like one of, in England, we have these sports direct mugs, which are like, obscenely massive and it's like one of those so like it's like having three cups of tea at once so i think i've got a problem i'm trying to come to terms with it and deal with uh, it uh, yeah. but it's only recently that i've decided that i uh, i need to cut down my liquid intake you see i can go a whole day without consuming any liquids because i'm too late <laughs> my hut and go for a wee so i've developed yeah. extreme bladder control and probably some kind of uti well this is it we uh, our downstairs toilet is out of action because we're in the in the process of moving so <laughs> i keep having to go upstairs and i think that's why i've decided i'm i'm too often going to the toilet it's just laziness, which has identified that. But you're hydrated and getting steps. Anyway, I can't believe we yeah. started the podcast talking about we. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Strap in, people. <laughs> it's going to be a, a moist ride. Um, okay, <laughs> let's get basic. For those people who have been living under a foot spa, what is direct response copy? Sure. So um, the way I try to explain it uh, in my inevitably rambly way, but I will keep it light and sweet, is for me, there's two types of advertising. There's indirect advertising and direct advertising. Um, And I usually use like um, a Coca-Cola, you know, the Diet Coke adverts, um, 
where you have a sexy man and you you turn the TV on and he's there drinking his Diet Coke and he's looking all hot and sweaty and it's refreshing. And they're hoping in that uh, moment that you will remember that image. And when you're in the supermarket a few weeks later and you are thirsty, you will think, oh, I remember that sexy man drinking that Diet Coke. Maybe I'll buy a Diet Coke. And you will have an indirect response to that particular advert. Uh, that's most advertising, kind of brand advertising, stuff like that. That all falls under the indirect um, heading. Direct is simply a case where at the end of the advert, so you might see a picture in a magazine of said sexy man drinking his Coke, but at the bottom there'll be maybe a coupon that says if you send this coupon in or uh, take it into your local store, um, you can redeem a free can of Coke with every Coke that you buy. That is a direct response to the advert. So there's some way of uh, a call to action there that is um, eliciting a direct response to that piece of marketing. And that's where uh, my copywriting comes in. I'm the guy who writes the advertising for that that uh, will elicit a direct response. Um, so for me, there's really only those two types. There's indirect, uh, which is hoping that you'll have a delayed reaction to something, and then direct, which is making call to action to go and do that thing right now. So um, so that's an important thing I was going to add. You know, So it's not that one piece of advertising doesn't have a call to action. It's just that the call to action on direct response it's is immediate. more... Immediate. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and I guess, you know, a lot of people think that direct response just means really, really long copy, like those horrendous sales letters you get in the post and that, uh, you know, sales pages that Americans seem to be obsessed with. But from your description there, it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case for you. And how um, you Don't get me wrong. Uh, my career, uh, the vast majority of my career, and still today, I write those horrible long letters, <laughs> usually for good things. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the perception of direct response has become associated with uh, long um, sales letters. And the reason for that is, is that I guess they are the kind of ultimate um, representation of direct response copy in the sense that you will read a 10,000 word letter and at the bottom it will ask you to get your credit card out and buy there and then. Um, so that's what um, those are all about. So you've got associated with that, but I think what I realized in kind of, so I, I worked with Agora, who's a, a company that specialize in these long copy sales letters and, and predominantly have used though, that method to build their business. Um, more recently, I've been working with um, a lot of different random companies across a lot of different random um, formats and media, whatever kind of you want to call it. And I started to realize that direct response is not just those long copy sales letters. Um, direct response can it can have an effect and can help um, you improve your copywriting across anything, any anywhere you're asking for an immediate call to action and, and more and more on online in, in a Facebook ad, in a, in a PPC advert, you're, you're ultimately asking for an immediate call uh, immediate response and that's why where direct response principles come in so but i think 
from what I've seen and just kind of observing the industry, I think kind of direct response because of its association with those long copy letters has kind of got a little bit of a kind of, uh, not stigma, but kind of, it's just a bit uncool and, uh, and it's not quite uh, all this kind of fun branding stuff that people get up to in agencies. So it just, it's just seem, seems a little bit dull and a little bit kind of boring, but actually the principles that I've learned over the years uh, through direct response are enormously helpful for writing um, or all types of copy. There's not a, I've been reading, reading, uh, writing tone of voice guides recently for, for some companies and still the direct response principles that I've learned over the years have helped me um, provide a unique offering for those agencies that have been asking for that because I'm I'm looking at things more than just in terms of uh, a brand identity and stuff. I'm looking at how will this actually elicit response uh, to the people who are reading it. So I think it's really helpful and I think it's a mistake just to think that direct response is, is only long copy sales letters. And, okay, so that leads me to an interesting question. I, I, I hope it's interesting. Maybe it's not. We'll soon find <laughs> out. You know, obviously, my response to those long copy letters is to fold them uh, into a little piece, <laughs> put them straight into the recycling. Um, but you've talked about principles there, and and you know, so what goes into writing a long copy sales letter can be sort of recycled into other formats. So talk us through a few of those principles. I mean, what is your process for writing a ten thousand word long sales letter? What what elements do you include? Sure. So um, the, the the biggest thing about it, it's interesting. It's it's worth pointing out about like a reaction to those long copy sales letters because. I think what's, I remember when I first started um, and got the job at Agora and I was sat in an office and kind of was presented with one of these sales letters and kind of just went, really? Like no one, no one actually responds to these, surely this is insane. And, uh, but I'm sat there and there's kind of, everybody's doing very well and successful and the business seems to be doing good and you're thinking, well, who's buying this? But then you realize it's, it's very much like a 1% business. You only need a very small response um, for it to work. And those letters are often very, very targeted. Um, and that's where their success ultimately lies. If you can properly target your the, the right person and the right audience, so that leads you to the creative process for for a, a long copy sales letter. You really are starting from a point of who are you, who is your audience, who are you speaking to, and you've got to understand that. You've got to research your audience, and and the, the writing. The writing doesn't come in for it, to it for quite a long time. So the first thing you're doing, you're looking at who you're speaking to. Um, you're analyzing maybe it's 55-plus male men who uh, think in a certain way. They have certain views. They have certain um, elements to their lifestyle. And then you're you're analyzing that. What are they seeing? What are they thinking? What are they um What do they already believe? Um, and doing as much research into your audience as possible. Then, obviously... I mean, it all starts with the product. You usually know what you're selling um, and that will guide your research. But from that point, once you've got your kind of like your first stage of research, I would say, then you start having ideas about how you might start uh, presenting um, the product or service that you're looking to sell or, or whatever you're looking to sell, different ways to present it. And, and I would brainstorm all sorts of ideas. And, and this necessarily isn't, 
a headline or anything like that. It's just an idea. And the way we were always taught to do it was um, to think about how would you present that idea if you were just pitching that idea to a friend in the, at the bar. So you'd come along and say, hey there, uh, Kate, how are you doing? Uh, did you know this thing did this? And your reaction would be, all oh, right, really? What's the, how come? Tell me more. So you're just thinking of what would be an interesting idea that you could uh, talk about and how, how you might be able to present it. You pitch that to different people and you see their reactions. Is it intriguing? Is it, um, is it different? Is it unique? And when you get to an idea where you think, oh, actually, I might have something here, then it's back to the research again. Um, and I can't stress enough how important it is to uh, research as much, as much as possible before really writing anything. Um, so you're now drilling down into that idea and, and, and thinking about different ways um, that you might um, approach that idea. Um, the thing that people think about is an idea uh, or, or people think that like one headline is like that's your idea it's not this uh, you can have a million he different headlines that might all equally be successful around one idea so you want to keep it as loose as possible this stage be researching just fault going down rabbit holes watching youtube videos linking from one article to the other and just finding as much information as possible about that particular idea that you've got once you feel like your mind is full, um, that's when I would start um, drafting maybe a headline and lead. So just a, a w ways of presenting uh, the idea to people that would get their attention. Um, again, once you've got that, you get that in front of many people's eyes as possible. It's something I'll talk about quite a lot is that you should share those ideas. You, there's no point in kind of keeping it all, especially when you're looking at writing a 10,000 word letter. Um, it would be stupid to write 10,000 words without anyone else having seen it, uh, first of all. So you want to be um, showing people that initial headline ideas, see what's going on, see which one gets picked out. Um, and then from that point, you, I, you look at drafting out content, so what, all the objections and issues and um, benefits that you need to cover in that letter. Draft them all out. I always find it useful to kind of uh, give yourself a contents page, like an index page, so that you know that by um, after the first five sections, maybe you're going to move into the offer then if you're not particularly inspired one day to write a, a, a copy element, a, a kind of a picture bit maybe, or like drawing, painting pictures, people, you can write the offer that day and you can move around, but you can see the, the actual letter coming together in different parts. Write that as much as possible possible. I would then, and this sounds like I'm flogging a dead horse, but you want to, once I've got a first draft, I will then go and um, research again and just see if there's now that I've got all that information in my head and I've got it down on the page. Is there any other elements that have come from my, the writing of uh, the letter that I've missed out that I can add to is, would there be a, a, is there a better piece of proof that I can put in there? So again, back to the, the internet, to the world, to books, just to see if there's anything you can add on. Now you've got something tangible. Um, once you've done that, it's a case of editing it, uh, reviewing it, giving it to people to read. Um, I read everything out aloud. I would always recommend people do even something as long as that. Read that aloud, get the flow of it. So it's all about making it sure it's as easy to read as possible. It's a long piece of copy that people are going to be reading. Um, and then get people's opinions on it. And you might have, I think the last letter I just did a couple of weeks ago, 
Um, the the editor, the voice who I was writing from, he had one read. The publisher had, I think, we went through three times, just tweaking, changing, um, what, doing what ifs, and trying to like craft it so it's tighter and tighter. Deleting usually delete about twenty five percent of the piece uh, before it's finished, and then eventually you should have. Um, a, a finished long copy sales layer. Um, wow. How long that takes could be weeks or months uh, or days if you're insane. Yes, well, uh, it was a long explanation of a long, <laughs> yeah. long letter. Well, finished there, Glenn. Thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can see now why you know they do cost the premium, and obviously it's worth investing that because the returns on them can be uh, amazing. You know, the, in terms of the you know the financial gain, the return on investment. So they are worth the effort. Um, I, I guess one of the schools of thought is that one of the ways to learn this whole process is to spend time handwriting out previous sales letters. The number of times I've seen that recommended in various copy groups. What is your, do you, do you think that's can, a short answer for that one? What do you think? Yes. Is it, good, yes. <laughs> it is. I did it myself. I did it myself. No, I think it, I mean, it does work as with anything. If you just, pra- the process of writing, it makes you notice what you're writing, I guess. And the yeah, it was, it's that kind of rote learning idea. I, I grew up playing the bass guitar and um, and still do. It sounds like I'm some kind of baby laid in the cot playing the bass guitar. But when I was a teenager, I started playing guitar. And um, that's how you learn to play a riff is like a rote exercise where you're just building your muscle memory up kind of playing over and over and over again and I, I think that's similar to uh writing good copy and and it's boring it's dull uh no one wants to do it but I always kind of say that like Hemingway I think Salman Rushdie said he used to do it I think J.G. Ballard used to copy out um the writing of people that they liked because you get a um just a slightly different feel for the writing when you copy it out it's all well and good reading stuff and kind of analyzing it but when you actually physically write it out and scratch it out on the page um i think it gives you just a different slightly nuanced um feel for it i really like that i also liked the idea this is something i do with web copy and i think again should you should do with all copy is that you write it or you do all your research you do all that in-depth study then you write a draft and then you explore the new ideas that come simply from writing because you know you can bullet point the crap mm. but when you actually get into the flow sometimes the brain takes you on little side streets and you're like actually this is a really interesting idea that didn't come out of any of my research now i might go and just back it up and make sure that this little you know side path i've taken is worth having and has some val- validity so i really like the fact that there's still that kind of creative freedom even with all the research and all the asset gathering you still get new things out of the writing as you're going yeah oh definitely and I, I, I kind of realized that more and more as I've got um, more experienced at doing things is that because it, it's really hard like a from a personal point of view I, I'm quite a lazy person when it comes to physically writing actually I don't know if I'm lazy but I just don't like it it takes longer I always say it. my mind thinks faster than I can type so it's it's hard to actually get the stuff out. And therefore, once you've got something out, once you're on a flow, once you're writing one thing and you suddenly have this other idea, you don't want to kind of shift to that other idea because you've already done all this work. So it's, it takes a lot of discipline to be able to go, actually, this, this idea that's just come out of that, and because I've phrased it like that, it's got me thinking on these lines, that might actually be a stronger idea. So it's, um, it's often hard, but I think 
you will once you've got some stuff down on the page you start to see other ideas forming so it's as much as possible i would always recommend people give themselves space to be able to kind of go with those ideas as well i also love the fact that it's almost like you're carving this monster out of a bigger block and there's some structure there and the the table of contents idea is great and again i use this because i'm obviously i do a lot of web copy um I do a skeleton deck where I kind of put all the pages in um, and I yep. get my down. But then some days I don't want to write the home page. I just want to do the contact form because that's really easy. Um, <laughs> but because I'm, you know, so I think many people think you need to write from start to finish. And, and no, you don't. You know, you can write the different blobs and then pull them together. And as you said, a great editor will no- help with that flow as well of going, actually, I think this point could be made slightly higher up in the flow rather than right down here. Um, so I love that structure idea as well. I mean, some great tips there. If people want to study direct response, are there, uh, where would you recommend that they go? What, what, what Did you do courses or you can't sound like you learned on the job? But um, I did very much learn on the job. I mean, like I'm lucky Agora is like one of the bigger, um, the, the kind of day, created half of this stuff um like various people who have been there and and are still there um so i did i was part of the agora world is linked to something called the awai um american writers and artists institute or something in america and they do a copywriting course uh how to kind of do these long letters so i i was kind of given that to kind of follow when i started but but ultimately all that was um was a case of talking through all of these different elements so it's it's like a book but then it's got that there was those letters that you needed to copy out so I would say if anybody's trying to study direct response, um, they want to be reading the letters. It all starts there. If, if you read these letters, uh, you can get them, you can find them. If you sign up to um, various newsletters in, in the niche that you're interested in, maybe if you if you want to write for health, you sign up for health letters. If you want to write for finance or whatever, you can find the niche. Uh, things like ClickBank or affiliate websites um, are, are a great source for that. And what you'd, I'd look to do would, would be to create what's called a swipe file um, which is just any examples of copy you see grab them save them to a file whether it's print them out or or put them on your computer what i would do and this was a good tip from uh, a guy called joe sharifa who is um one of the publishers in america for agora he he always said and i I thought it was a very clever insight was to say uh, to actively keep a swipe file and to be actively analyzing those promos it's no good just to oh go oh that's a good email put that in my swipe file make a note even if it's five minutes just say what like this subject line got my attention why did it get my attention and just do a little brief analysis on it and make a note on that then when you're stuck for ideas you can go back and you'll see all right that that was interesting because it um used the weird the word weird in a strange way or what have you and and maybe if i I could try and do that with this idea so read letters keep a swipe swipe file uh, with that stuff sign up to as much um information as you can um read all the books there's millions of books out there just go through them one at a time and just keep reading um and then the other thing that you've got to do if you want to understand direct response copy is you've got to watch people out in the world uh it's no good just being in your room um creating these things in your mind and thinking how will she react to this piece of copy go out see how people make decisions watch people in the supermarket watch people at the bank watch people um 
in the shop and kind of looking at uh, various clothes, what makes them pick this up, what makes them pick that up. Just start analysing people uh, because they are ultimately the um, the end end goal. Actually, you're trying to get to those people and, and, and influence their decision and persuade them to take action. So you've got to study the people that you're writing to as much as the stuff that you're writing. I can imagine you now, like, lurking in Morrison's supermarket. Yeah, I mean, I've been arrested 15 times. (laughs) This is a lovely visual image. I I guess we had had some prearranged questions, people, but I like to ignore them. Um, I think, obviously, I write a lot of direct response copy for my own courses and my own bits and bobs. How well do you think the kind of principles of direct response for letters translate to these long sales pages, which again, are all the vogue at the moment? You know, you have to scroll until you get sort of wrist injuries to get to the price at the bottom. Sure. Um, I think it's, oh, I think it, it, it went, I mean, Bill Bonner, who owns Agora, I think it was uh, probably the, end, the early nineties. He, he basically ran this entire um, that entire business offline uh, originally. It literally started with him right typing out a, a letter and sending it to people. Um, but then uh, when that, when the internet came, he had the foresight to go. We need to get online here, people. But he had the foresight to do that. But then didn't really bother at the time with any technological advances more than, well, let's just put it online. So it just moved everything online. And those long copy letters have been online for a long time and still work as well. You've had some breakthroughs in video sales letters, so which is basically just presenting the copy in a video. Um, and then you see all different versions of it and you see more HTML designed stuff and more interactive stuff and people are always testing and trying new things. It, it all works. The, the thing about long copy and, and whether it's long on the page that you, you're reading and flipping over or whether it's long on the a website and you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, the the fact I always remember Bill saying that we, we're ultimately writing to readers. We're all readers, so um, people want to read stuff. Um, if you look at stuff and think, "Oh well, I wouldn't read that," it's probably because it's not for you. And yeah. and as a copywriter, you've got to remember that I, I'm not necessarily writing to me. Um, yet sometimes um, I will be reading a long piece of copy, and I won't realise I am. And yes. the thing. Is, is that you don't really notice that you're reading long copy and, unless it doesn't work. Uh, if, if it works, you don't notice. Um, people reading uh, read seven books of Harry Potter thing because they like it and they enjoy it. No one complains and says, that, well, that was too long. People, if you're enjoying a piece of copy then and it's, and it's relating to you and you're emotionally connected to it, you will read and read and read. And actually, um, despite what we naturally... Uh, are told that our attention spans are waning and all this kind of stuff. If you're enjoying something, if you're connected to it and on an emotional level, and if it's working, then you, you probably want to read more. Yeah. So you will find invariably that the longer you um, scroll down the page and the more information you give, the more objections you're overcoming, um, the more support you're giving to that person to, to buy the product or service, uh, the more reasons you're giving to them to tell their partner why they've just bought that kind of uh, product or service, which is, I think, one of the main reasons why there's so much copy there. It's so that the person reading, they'll probably be bought on the, the first six pages, the, the, the headline lead, yes, I want this, I like this idea, but then they need to go and justify that to someone. So 
you're giving them the uh, support and proof that they need to go and justify that purchase. Um, yeah, but I, the more I, you can do with that, the better it will be. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I have a, a long copy sales page for my uh, SEO course, and every time mm-hmm. I make it long, every time I make it longer, I sell more things because I think there's a yeah. few points there. Not everyone is going to read every word on the page, like especially online, we kind of kind of forage for what we're looking for. So we look for a headline or a graphic that grabs our attention, and maybe we just read that because that was for us. And this is it, you know, I. You can A B test, and you can have multiple sales pages for different products. But you know, at the end of the day, your your audience is is always going to be broader than a sales letter can necessarily be. Perhaps so, you have to address different people's pain points, and that really works. I loved your your thought that if you're enjoying the copy, you don't notice you're reading it, and it's something that. I always talk about with my partner, like when you're watching a movie and you suddenly really notice the music, I feel like the music has failed because the music in in a movie is supposed to kind of cause an emotion without you even realizing that it's doing it. And I think that's it. It's the jar. It's when you're jarred out of the copy by something that sounds really awkward or exaggerated or some ridiculous claim that you, you, you lose that kind of flow and you, you realize you're reading. And I guess that's, that, that, that's kind of, we're drawing to a close, but a couple of questions I wanted to get in before we finish is, you know, what mistakes do you see in long copy that, that, that do cause an interruption in that flow that do jar people out? Um, the, the biggest mistake I notice in people who write copy and long copy is that they write copy. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean by that is they write what they think your meant, what copy is meant to look like. Um, there's certain tropes that have built up over time, certain terms of phrases, um, certain clip sentences and all this kind of stuff. And it, it, the intention is good. You're trying to write it like copy should look like, but that's the wrong way to think about it. You're really, you need to write authentic, authentically and write what needs to be written, not what it should look like. That means that sometimes your copy won't look like other people's copy and therefore um, you think, all oh, right, it's meant to look like this, but it's, um, it's actually for your particular message it might need to look slightly different. So the biggest mistake I think people make is trying to write what they think copy should look like. With regards to breaking people up, the, the biggest mistake is that people probably don't read out what they're um, yeah. writing and, and they give themselves, um, they, they kind of they ruin their own work because they're reading it from a critical eye um, rather than a natural man in the street woman on the, the in the cafe reading this in in the natural environment where they're just reading it as a piece of literature if you read things out then it will give you that natural flow rather than it just looking like it should yeah i think another thing if you have a willing a willing or unwilling partner, I guess, uh, is to get someone else to read it out to you and see where they sure. stumble and fumble and where they fall and whether, you know, I mean, that's a classic because you will always read through your own mistakes uh, and, yeah. and fill, yeah. fill in the words and whatever. I like to use that kind of random robot woman on Word to read my stuff. Um, oh. <laughs> because she always, be sounds, she always sounds so depressed with and, and disappointed <laughs> in me uh, that it just, you know, it feeds my, 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 my negative soul. Um, so you've talked a little bit about, uh, I think it was Bob, uh, uh, Gora, uh, uh, who sounds like a big influence on, on your career. But who, who else, you know, do you have any copywriting heroes? I know you asked, I think you might have asked me this question. I was like, no, I don't know anyone. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I, so this was, it was Bill Bonner, uh, 
Well, Bill, Bob is a, a much better name, I think. I'll call uh, it, let's but, call it Bob. <laughs> yeah, Billy Bob. Um, Bill and Mark, uh, Mark Ford, uh, who kind of jointly founded Agora. Um, they were obviously a massive influence in the sense that I had no idea that this entire world existed before I met them. Um, so they were a big influence. And I was lucky that they, the two American chaps, but they were working in the UK office when I started. So I was very lucky that I got to work with them when, when most people wouldn't. Uh, so that was good. Um, chap called Dave Fedash, who um, he kind of brought me into Agora. He was a big influence again. He was like the first person I met and kind of um, formed this world around. And then uh, two chaps, Darren and Vinod, uh, who I worked with, again, they were a massive influence on me because they kind of, they were more marketers and what I consider myself um, lucky and the reason behind my success is that not only did I learn about copywriting, um, I learned about marketing as well. And I think it, it seems so obvious, but too often we kind of niche very early and um, I sound like some kind of American entrepreneur now. We niche so early, but um, but we we don't kind of get that holistic view of the the world that we inhabit. And I, I was lucky to do that because of those two. So so they helped all that early kind of phase. And then latterly, um, there's been loads of people, but like nowadays, it's kind of I know it sounds trite and uh, twee, but like I think with Ruth and Pablo, my dog, like from influencing when you're early in your career, you're influenced by the people who are showing you how to do to, to, to learn your skill and master your thing. But then when you get older, you're really influenced by the, the people around you in your life. And they kind of lead me to make certain decisions and everything and look at things more, uh, I was going to say maturely. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but um, they look at life in a bigger way. I've only known you very briefly, but I'd say maturely is, is definitely uh, not the one. <laughs> <laughs> They're failing um, in that respect. I'm so very immature. <laughs> but uh, but uh, and long, long may you continue to be. Um, uh, another, you mentioned there. There's loads of books. Uh, I, I, I must admit, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge reader of copywriting books. Um, uh, you know, that's just me. Uh, if you could pick a one or two, who, who, which ones would you say are essential? Yeah, um, it's it's tough. Like on my podcast, I do a thing at the end where I always recommend books, and I specifically don't recommend copywriting books and stuff because it's there's there's so many the ten a penny. If you someone. are, yeah, I, I would I would say I, I thought about this, and I think for the broadest, um, if you, if you're new to copy um, and it's a new thing, and you're still getting into it people would have already advised you to read Ogilvy on advertising. I would say, yes, definitely do that. I think it's a broad uh, out, uh, overview of the world of advertising and copy, which is quite useful. If you're more into it and looking for something that you might not have come across, I, I still to my mind to this day, I, I always remember reading Dan O'Reilly's Predictably Irrational. Um, which is one of these books where it's all like little case studies and what have you. And, and uh, 500 people in Arizona did this test and what have you, which I kind of get annoyed and bored by those books. But that is one that had the most unique case studies I'd read at the time. And it got me thinking uh, quite a lot. So Predictably Irrational by Dan O'Reilly for the advanced class and then Ogilvy on advertising for the uh, entry level. Um, but both, both are good books. But ultimately just you'll always find something to take away from a book 
Um, and even if that's just a one thought you'll get, and as a copywriter, the more books you read, and you don't need to read marketing books, you don't need to read copywriting books, you just read anything, just make sure you're that's reading. That's it, even isn't if, it? I, I think it's it. like the, the magazines of the day, just, just be reading and putting as much information in your head as possible. Yeah, you know, like that's it, isn't it? Just be aware of the words around you that, you know, the, mm. the, the cheesy signs at the fruit shop and the, and, the, and the menu mistakes and the magazine ads. It's all, it's all filling yeah. your brain with good stuff. And obviously there's, there's one book by some geezer, I think it's called The Art of Click. I don't know. Yeah, The Art of the Click. Uh, yes. That's an that's a amazing book. Uh, Apparently it's amazing. Of- yeah. Full of uh, words. Um, I've used a lot of the words that are available. There's lots of punctuation yeah. in there as well. There's like well, not too much punctuation. I'm not a big fan of punctuation. So It's just uh, one it's, long sentence. The whole book is yeah. <laughs> It's actually, it was described as the most Proustian copywriting book uh, yeah. to have been published so far. But no, yeah, you can read my book. Uh, I think it's useful. Um, I've been told by many people. That stop plugging uh, it. Stop, stop, stop plugging it. Comes with a red pen so you can add your own punctuation where you like. Yes. Um, okay. Final question, and this is a big one. Um okay. so who who who's been your favorite podcast guest so far? Um you, you put this to me and uh, I, I think I was asked this before and I, I can't remember I managed to avert it last time. But Ugh. I looked through so here's how I'm gonna cheat. Of yeah. this series, so that immediately saves the first 10 people. Of this last <laughs> series, uh, which doesn't include you, so oh, you're in the okay. next series. So, and then I'm going to go with uh, Jess um, McIntyre and Natalie Moore, um, or Moores, uh, who make up a, a double team called Mac and Moore. Because that means there's two less people to hate me. Uh, oh, well, I, knock out two people I think there. everyone knows that you love everybody. <laughs> I think I do. You know, I think they were really fun, though. I, I enjoyed. I, I enjoy speaking to to everyone, and I think that's one of the uh, the great advantages and very selfish reason I do. Uh, the podcast myself is so you can just talk to people it's it's, it's a lot it's of fun. it is it's good fun and we talked about this one on our episode how you know it is kind of a form of writing in a way you know it, you know people are like oh you know you're speaking you're not i thought you're a copywriter i thought you wrote stuff but there's a degree of writing in it and you're still telling stories and, and interacting and yeah uh, i mean and, the, the, writing is such a small part of copywriting i have it my is. theme song is <laughs> copywriting it's not about writing it's about ideas and and even like podcasts and stuff i think the more you can um, ramble around and find people who are willing to have a ramble around with you about, that sounds weird, but um, who are willing to talk about ideas and to talk about this stuff, um, it gets the turns of phrase come out, what affects people. So talk, any form of talking, I think, is really useful. And I like to think in a very twee way that people listening to like this podcast, people listening to, to my podcast, it's as though you're the third person in that group discussion and you're, you're listening to people figure stuff out and, and you might hear a turn of phrase that is quite interesting and it's that stuff that needs to be in your copy because that's how people speak and that's what people recognize and relate to so i, I think it's useful uh, uh, that's a lovely point and, and i think uh, listening to podcasts and talking to people like you it makes it makes me feel a bit smarter and just gives me a different dimension to my to my life because it, you know it's fairly old uh, lonely world in your little heart <laughs> You can, if you can see Glenn, Glenn now he's surrounded by boxes and foot spas and and weird things. Yeah. And it's nice to reach out and talk to other humans. Well, look, Glenn, thank you so much for this. I'll share links to all your various bits, your book, your podcast, uh, the books that you've recommended, the courses, and the episode with Mac and Moore. Uh, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. 
Thank you very much. No problem. Regular listeners will know that this is the time we read out a review of the show. And today we're giving a shout out to That's McCook. I'm sorry, I'm trying to read out a weird name from the UK. They say, really enjoying your podcast and I'm going to be putting a lot of these tips to use in my new marketing manager role. I listen to a lot of marketing related podcasts and this is my new favourite. Thanks for your high quality content. And that's from Kay in Glasgow. Thank you so much, Kay. I should have tried to do that in a Glaswegian accent. That was a big fail. Uh, And thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher and... Spotify. I got it right this time. Your review will help others find us and we'll give you a shout out on the show. You can also head to thehotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode and find out a little bit more about Glenn, should you dare. You'll find him lurking in the lettuce aisle in your local supermarket watching you buy stuff. Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts.